Thank you for tuning in to True Dominion Ministries podcast with your host, LaTanya Stevens. I am here with the final series of The Cross here on today, beginning with chapter 16 and ending with 21 in the book of John. I am going to go ahead and begin, but before I do, please don't forget to visit our website at truedominionministries.com and visit our blog called Ask Yourself. We also have every Monday motivational music with Christopher Stevens and every third Thursday with marriage ministry. So I'm going to go ahead and begin with chapter 16 in the book of John. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. And uh, verse five, it says this is talking about Jesus teaches uh, about the Holy Spirit. But now I am going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And what I want to say is about the Holy Spirit is our helper. But when we refuse to believe it is the sin that Jesus did not take on the cross, because in verse nine, it says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe me. And uh, verse 16, it starts talking about Jesus teaches about using his name in prayer. And this is the reason why we say in Jesus name. Amen. In verse 16, it says in a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me and I am going to the father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again 
again, then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and and will tell you plainly all about the father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the father into the world and now I will leave the world and return to the father. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is very consistent in talking about our Father and lets us know we have direct access to him through his name the name of Jesus, and we can ask him of anything. And that's very important that we remember that Jesus not only died, but, you know, because he died, we can use his name. We can use the name of the only and begotten son that that God intended for us to do. In chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself and it states, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth. By completing the work, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. And I have to say that I love this because it shows that even Jesus needed prayer. He stayed in communication with God about himself as well as the other disciples or amongst the people. He stayed in prayer for himself. And that goes to show you if Jesus needs to pray, then we surely don't need to need to act like we don't need prayer. And so in verse six, it starts talking about Jesus prays for his disciples. He's prayed for himself first, and now he's praying for his disciples. It reads, I have revealed to you the ones you gave, gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you. You sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those who have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. 
During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world, but to keep them safe. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And so we have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us and we are to be holy. And, you know, it says a lot when Jesus goes and prays for his disciples, you know, looking at the fact that he knew what he was going to have to go through. He knew what they were going to go through as well. He knew that they were going to need God to really protect them because they have looked up to Jesus so long and knew that he was the one that was protecting them. He wanted them to continue to believe. And so on to verse 20, talking about Jesus prays for future believers, which is, of course, me and you. It reads, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And so basically, Jesus prayed for you and me, for us to be united, and you can't be a body of Christ and you're missing members. He did not call us to be separate. He did not call us to be divided. He did not call us to look at each other's skin color or each other's languages or each other's religion. He called us to be united and to be united all under God. And so, you know, as disciples, as, as believers, we have to stand together. There is no other way. A house divided will fall. And so we have to be very careful in dividing ourselves, whether by churches or by ethnicity or countries or whatever. You know, we have to be very careful and know that he called us to be united. That was his prayer for us. His, his prayer was for us to be united. His prayer for us was was to walk together and to be in God and him to be in us. And so in chapter 18, Jesus is betrayed and he arrested. And it reads, 
After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for he asked jesus the nazarene they replied i am he jesus said judas who betrayed him was standing with them as jesus said i am he they all drew back and fell to the ground once more he asked them who are you looking for and again they replied jesus the nazarene i told you that i am he jesus said and since i am the one you want let these others go he did this to fulfill his own statement i did not lose a single one of those you have given me then simon peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of malchus the high priest slave but jesus said to peter put your sword back into its sheath shall i not drink from the cup of suffering the father has given me and in this moment jesus was very bold and knew what he had to endure and not even peter could interrupt god's plan so regardless if peter felt like he was going to be the hero and cut off a man's ear you know jesus said no that's not the way we're going to do this because i have a cup i have a cup of suffering that is going to be given to me by my father and so i, I don't have time for this this is not what we're going to do in verse 12, Ananias questions Jesus. And so the soldiers, their commanding officer, the temple guards, arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they took him to Ananias, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to talk, to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Ananias bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. The crazy part about this whole passage is how can you be religious leaders who say they know the scriptures and not believe he was the Messiah? You know, and it makes me say, you know, what a shame that would be for us. What a shame would that be for us when we don't even know when the Holy Spirit is present, when we don't know that God in God is working on our behalf, when we don't know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for, for us, when we don't know that Jesus it loves us when we don't know that we are here as a miracle with the breath of God. 
it, it what a shame that would be for everyone that who goes to church and who who quote scriptures and who have clergies. What a shame would that be? What what difference would that be for us if we were religious leaders, not knowing who we are insulting, not knowing who we are crucifying all over again? That's just what I got out of this passage. But on to verse 25 is talking about Peter denies knowing Jesus. And it reads, meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, I know we give Peter a whole lot of slack because he denied Jesus three times. We do. And especially because he walked with Jesus and, you know, he was Jesus' right-hand man. How many times have we denied Jesus? How many times have we disregarded, whether it be same-sex marriages, whether it be drinking to the point of we're drunk, whether it be using his name in vain, whether it be any sin, really? You know, when we do those things, we deny him and our own little way to say oh well it doesn't matter or oh I, he can't see me or I can't see him so he knows my heart he know I don't mean it you know we do things like that I just want to say make sure you point to your own sin before chopping somebody's ear off you know Peter felt the way that he felt but that's just not the way that we do things we have to make sure that we point out our own sin and we see what part we have to pay in that because if we look at the whole story and when all of them deserted him oh now you want to fight somebody that's coming after him you know so it, it just didn't make sense but in verse 28 it's talking about Jesus stands trial before Pilate Jesus trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover which is quite funny because they didn't go inside but they were wanting to commit murder that's pretty crazy right there. They don't want to go inside afraid to be defiled, but you now but you do want to commit murder, okay? And not just any murder at that. So Pilate the governor went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if we weren't if he weren't a criminal, they reported. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. The Jewish leaders replied, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not for this world. 
So at this moment, as Pilate had to decide what to do with Jesus, I have to ask, what have you decided? What have you decided to do with Jesus? Have you decided to just leave him and throw him away, despise him, refuse him? Have you decided to just throw Jesus away? Or have you decided to abide by the word of God? Have you decided to give your life to Christ? Have you decided to turn away from your wicked ways? Have you decided? What have you decided to do with Jesus? Because although we can look at Pilate and we can say he knew that it wasn't right for him to to do it. He felt it. He knew it. But still yet, because of, you know, his position and where he stood at at that moment, he just had to do what he had to do. But you got to do what you got to do, too. And what is it that you have to do? In what way have you decided to either love Jesus or hate him? What have you decided? And so on to verse 38, Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified because ultimately that's what he decided to do. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. You know, I believe Pilate was really wrestling with his spirit and his flesh at this time. But however, this could not be about anything else but what God purpose was for this moment. And that's just what it was. So it had to happen. You know, ultimately it had to happen that way. In chapter 19, it begins talking about then Pilate had Jesus flogged. Now let me describe what flogging is because could have killed Jesus. And the usual procedure was to bear the upper half of the victim's body and tie his hands to a pillar before whipping him with a three pronged whip with pieces of lead in the prongs. The, the number of lashes was determined by the severity of the crime up to 40 were permitted under Jewish law. And that you can find that in Deuteronomy 25 and 3. And after being flogged, Jesus also endured other agonies recorded here and in the other gospels. So that is what Pilate sent him out to be. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourself and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, 
if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. And Jesus kept his composure um, throughout this whole thing. Of course, yes, he was flogged. He was slapped and eventually, you know, executed um, for you and for me. And for so that we can be saved from our sins and have eternal life. And you have to ask yourself, who else, who else would die for you? Who else would die for you? I know people say that, but I don't know how many people would really do that for you or for me. Next, they talk about Jesus is led away to be crucified. And it says, so they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went the place called place of the skull in Hebrew is Golgotha. And this is the place many executions took place and used as an example to the people, basically. In verse 18, Jesus is placed on the cross and it states, There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. Of course, we know that they were thieves, but John doesn't record that part. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. Basically, they were gambling. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, the, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, which is John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, let's define crucify because crucify means to execute or nail to the cross to put to death. And of course, they didn't have guns back then or the type of weapons that we have today. So that was the way to execute someone. In verse 28 is starting to talk about Jesus dies on the cross and it reads, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit which means he paid it in full, paid for the full penalty for our sins. 
in verse 31, it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also can believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierced. Piercing his side and seeing the sudden flow of blood and water indicated the sack surrounding the heart and the heart itself had been pierced was further proof of his death. And when a person hung on a cross, death came by suffocation, but the victim would push against the cross with his legs to hold up his body and keep breathing. With broken legs, he would suffocate almost immediately. And so that's why they broke the legs of the other prisoners. In verse 38, Jesus is laid in the tomb and it reads, After Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and alloys. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. Because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, close at hand, they laid Jesus there. What I love about this is that it mentions that he is a secret disciple of Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you a secret disciple? And if you are, please know that at some point you have to come out. <laughs> you have to come out of hiding just as he did. In chapter 20, Jesus rises from the dead. It states, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. And this is what I want to say about that. Only when they encountered Jesus personally are they able to accept the fact of the resurrection and they begin to understand fully the reality of his presence with them Peter and John of course was the ones that um, ran to the tomb and on to verse 11 
Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And after reading this, you know, the question is, when will you recognize his voice? You have to be able to see him. You have to. She did not recognize his voice because, of course, of the situation. Um, she saw him die on the cross. So she's not expecting to see him. And quite frankly, that's how he works. When you're not expecting to hear from God and when you you haven't asked him any questions or you haven't had any concerns, really, sometimes it seems like that's when he'll speak the most. When you're actually not looking for him to say anything or give you instructions or tell you yes or no to a thing. It'll be in those moments when you're not looking for him that he will speak to you. And I found that she couldn't see him because she didn't expect to see him. And then he spoke her name and immediately she recognized him. But she knew the sound. She might not have noticed it was his face or his body or just him, period. But once he made a sound, that's when she knew. And on to verse 19, Jesus appears to his disciples. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And what I want to say about that is as followers and believers, it is our time to go out and tell others about Christ and show them by faith and repentance. They can be forgiven. You know, we all have to be forgiven. Let's let's just state that fact. We all have to be forgiven, but we also have to forgive at the same time. In verse 24, it begins to talk about Jesus appears to Thomas. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And we all we call Thomas the doubting one, but Thomas needed Jesus physical presence to believe. And most people still do. But what good is that if it doesn't change your heart? You know, he believed because he saw. But can you believe without seeing? And that is exactly what faith is in Hebrews 11. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so if we can believe anything without even seeing it, God is pleased with our faith because it takes faith to please God. And so even though he allowed Thomas to see him, he knew that he needed to see him in order to believe. And so even this passage in this Bible is for people who don't believe. It's for the people who say, well, you know, I need proof. I need to see his body is not going to be there anyway. But, you know, people want to be able to see. They want to be able to touch. And that's one thing that I have a problem with, with even church nowadays. People want to be able to see something. And there's nothing wrong with that. But can you believe it? Your The miracle can't manifest unless you can't see it, if that makes sense. You know, it's one thing to believe a thing because you see it. You know, if you see somebody that's disabled and you see their legs are crooked, their spine is curved there, you know, and they're hanging over and you see them one day, you say, okay, you know, that person is disabled. And then you see that person the next day and you say, okay, how did that happen? So in chapter 21, Jesus appears to seven disciples. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Welcome to, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you got just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And it's ironic that only John recognized Jesus out of the seven. And I just find that amazing. You know, you know who knows your voice. You know who's close to you. You know who obeys your voice. You know who believes, you know, when they hear the voice of God. 
it, a person who hears the voice of God will do whatever he says to do, no matter how crazy it may sound, no matter who they have to be ridiculed from, no matter who they, who talks about them. Because when you hear the voice of God, it surpasses everything. It, it supersedes everything that anyone could ever say to you. And unless people really have a relationship with God, then they, they can't understand that a person who does not have a relationship with God will not be able to understand that a person who has never heard the voice of God will not be able to understand that. If the Lord told me today, I need you to move to Kalamazoo and you need to stay there for two years and three months and you need to live in this shack that has one window. Guess what I would do? I would do it because I know the voice of God, but other people will look at you and say, well, why would you do that? Why would you move out of that house and, and go stay in no one, one bedroom shack? Why would you do that? And that's the thing that you can't explain to people. So when Jesus told them to cast his net on the other side, he just did it. It worked out for their good. In verse 15, Jesus challenges Peter and it reads, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know, I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of the believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said, said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account for these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the world, the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. And so Peter asked Jesus how John would die, basically. And Jesus replied that Peter should not be concerned himself with that. Um, in the verses of verse 18, it said, But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. He was talking about this was the prediction of Peter's death by crucifixion. Because tradition indicates that Peter was crucified for his faith upside down because he did not feel worthy of dying as his Lord did. And despite what Peter's future held, Jesus told him to follow him. And so Peter also was crucified, but he was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. 
And so John's state's uh, stated purpose for writing this gospel was to show that Jesus was the son of God. And he clearly and systematically presented the evidence for Jesus claims. And so at this point, after me reading the whole gospel of John, you must decide, you know, when, like I said, when God told me to just read and read, preach the cross, he said, because you can't retell my story no better than I've already told it. And so what I'm saying to you is after you've heard the story, and this may not even be the first time you've heard it, might be the 500th time that you heard it. But after you've heard it, you must decide. You must decide today to either give your life to Christ or serve Satan. You know, there's only two choices. It's a 50-50. Heaven, hell, saved, unsaved. <laughs> delivered, undelivered, you know, and you just basically have to put your, your life into God's hands. God does not force you to serve him and neither can I. But what I can tell you is my own testimony is that I know that God talks to me. I know that he hears my prayers. I know that he works on my behalf. I know that he sends the Holy Spirit to work on my behalf. I know that uh, Jesus intercedes for me. I know that if it had not been for God, I would not be where I am today. I know that I would have checked out a long time ago. I know that if I had done things my way, I would not be here today. And so basically you have to decide and maybe everything is going just fine for you. Maybe you have the perfect career. Maybe you have the perfect husband or wife. Maybe your kids don't give you any problems and you have no reason to think that you need my God. Okay. You have no reason to think that you need Jesus. But let me tell you something. He can do a whole lot more for you than you can on your own. And everything that you work for, everything that you do on your own, it will take you to maintain it. But when God does something and he puts his hands on a thing, you don't have to do all of that. You don't have to do what everybody has done and what everybody else is doing. He will sustain you. And that's something that you have to know. So I'm going to go ahead and end this broadcast. Thank you for listening to all four series of the cross. This does complete that series. And I thank you and I pray that it helped you. I pray that you found your answer to whatever question that you had for God. I pray that you just give your life to God. I pray that you turn away from your sins, turn away from those things that don't do you any good. That relationship, that job, people, places, or things that don't do you any good, those things that are not serving you anything. Um, I want you to learn to love God. Go back and listen to all four parts of this series if you have to. But just know that there is a word and this word is in the Bible and you can go get it in any store. It's in every bookstore. It's online. <laughs> it's, there's apps, you know, whatever, whichever way you have to get it. But go ahead and get it and make sure that you at least give him a chance to prove himself to you. Not that he has to, but at least give himself a chance to prove himself to you so that you can make the right choice. I thank you. It has been my pleasure to serve you with these series and it has been my pleasure to serve you for the past four months now that we have had this broadcast and I pray that I if God willing that I'll see you again in the meantime be blessed